It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. In episode 54, I gave 12 conclusions about the first cause of the universe. I continue to add to that list in this episode. Since the first cause is extremely powerful, supremely intelligent, and abundant in knowledge, as I listed in attributes 8, 9, and 10, its limitlessness implies that, in fact, it is all-powerful or omnipotent all-intelligent and all-knowing. The first cause of the universe is uncaused. Moreover, any uncaused person is, 13, independent, because it does not depend on anything else for its existence. What is more, independent existence cannot not exist. This is the usual meaning of necessary in philosophy. So the first cause of the universe is 14, necessary, or exist necessarily. Moreover, a necessary existence is 15, non-contingent, because contingent is dependent on circumstances outside itself. We know that necessary is the opposite of contingent. Therefore, I can conclude that necessary means it is non-contingent. Aristotle held that potentiality is always potential for change and that something changes because it lacks something. According to Thomas Aquinas, a thing which requires completion by another is said to be in potentiality to that other. Realization of potentiality is called actuality. The concept of potentiality in this context refers to any possibility that a thing can be said to have. Actuality, in contrast to potentiality, is the motion, change, or activity that represents a fulfillment of a possibility. When a possibility becomes real in the fullest sense, things that are devoid of potentiality or what philosophers have called pure actuality. It cannot go from potentiality to actuality. The first cause of the universe, a necessary being, is also, 16, pure actuality, because the first cause is devoid of potentiality whatsoever. If it had any potentiality with regard to its existence, it would be possible for it not to exist. But this is precisely what a necessary existence cannot do. A pure actual being is immutable or unchanging. Furthermore, a necessary existence, therefore, would be 
17, changeless. Why? Because whatever changes must have the potentiality for change. If change was impossible, then it would not change. But a necessary existence has no potentiality whatsoever because of its pure actuality, so it cannot change. Finally, a necessary being must be an uncaused being. Whatever is caused passes from potentiality to actuality, for that is what causality means. But a necessary being has no potentiality and it cannot change. Thus, it is clear that a necessary being cannot be caused. Side note. Previously, I had shown that an uncaused being is necessary. And now I have shown that a necessary being is uncaused. Thus, we now know a necessary being and an uncaused being are logically equivalent. 18. There can only be one necessary or pure actual being. A necessary existence is pure actuality by 16. What is pure actuality must be only one, since if there were two pure actual beings, then there would be some potentiality or limiting factor by which they differ. But in a being of pure actuality, there is no potential whatsoever. Hence, no real differentiation. Several proofs of God's existence, like the five ways of Aquinas, conclude a few key essential characteristics about God and then extrapolate to the God of the Bible by saying, everyone understands this to be God, or this being we call God. Frequently, these arguments have not mentioned other attributes of what they are talking about as being personal or that it is only one of a kind. Therefore, I am assuming that some in my audience will think that extrapolation is a bit too much of a stretch for them, and like some of my friends, would demand considerable more reasons to persuade them. Already these 18 key essential attributes I have demonstrated in my version of the consequences of the Kalam argument about the cause of the universe coincide with those revealed about the God of the Bible and are contrary to most other religious conceptions of God. So is this first cause of the universe the same as the God of the Bible? The usual objection to any cosmological argument is that it does not prove a theistic God and that it is, at best, a God of the philosophers. I want to refute this objection and go well beyond any extrapolation and actually demonstrate that the first cause of the universe is, in fact, identical with the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, as understood by Orthodox Christians down through the centuries, possesses certain metaphysical attributes that readily identify him and distinguish him from the gods of other religions and other worldviews like that of pantheism, deism, finite godism, 
polytheism, etc. The God of the Bible has these 18 key metaphysical and other attributes, and in addition to these metaphysical attributes, the God of the Bible is absolutely morally perfect, having perfect love, holiness, truthfulness, righteousness, and justice. Since God is infinite, he will expectedly have infinitely many attributes, so we can never be able to argue for them all. My question for my listeners is this. How many attributes are persuasive enough to convince you that this cause of the universe is the God of the Bible? The Bible indicates that the God of the Bible is a necessary being. The usual understanding of the God of the Bible is that he is uncaused. A necessary being is by definition a being that cannot not exist. I've also demonstrated that a necessary being is equivalently non-contingent and uncaused. Let me list some scriptural passages that confirm the conclusion that the God of the Bible is a necessary being. Here are a few. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1.1. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. John 1 verse 3. Let me stop right here to point out something to you. These scriptures mean everything other than God is contingent. And since he is the creator of everything else, means only he is non-contingent. That is enough to conclude God is a necessary being. But I suspect that some will still like to wiggle out of that conclusion. So let me list a few more passages that drives the point home. He, God, is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Acts 17, verse 25. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Romans eleven thirty six. There is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. For by him all things were created. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17. He has spoken to us by his Son, through whom he made the universe. Hebrews 1, verse 2. For you, God, created all things, and because of your God's will, they existed and were created. Revelations 4, verse 11. So the God of the Bible is a necessary being, and I have demonstrated that the first cause of the universe is a necessary being. Moreover, I've demonstrated there is only one necessary being. Thus, the first cause of the universe and the God of the Bible 
both being necessary, must be identical. Let me try to say something to you in very clear and unmistakable terms. All of the arguments for the existence of God throughout history have not gone as far as I have in my conclusions about the nature of the first cause of the universe. Not Aristotle, not Plotinus, not Augustine, not Anselm, not Aquinas, not Leibniz, not Descartes, not Gosley, nor Plantinga have been able to demonstrate that the first cause of the universe is identical with the God of the Bible without extrapolating from a few key essential attributes to the God of the Bible. And because of that extrapolation, atheists still cling to their resistance. But now I believe the problem is completely solved. And now the atheists do not have a leg to stand on unless they can refute my argument. This is a drastic claim and some in my audience will doubt it. I would like to hear your objections and be able to converse with you. Contact the station and we can work on a conversation with me. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.